Hello. I got nervous for a second. Hello. 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 We're not singing. We're not doing another we're not musical doing, episode. We're not, we're not doing more. Yeah, we're not doing more musical episodes. Um, Even though that one was relatively well received. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> for how terrible it was. Let's not push our luck. Um, yeah, no, I'm not looking for a sequel. Uh, instead of doing uh, what we've done in past holidays where we talk about like the crimes on that holiday, um, we're just going to talk about just people in love who just love to murder. They love two things, murder and each other. Yep. One Sometimes more than the other. Sometimes three if they have kids. Yeah. Sometimes we'll one more than the other. Um, <laughs> so we got each two couples... Yep. That couldn't be more different. And then we got, oh yeah, we have our announcement at the end of the episode. Yes, we have we have our, our big announcement. But that'll be wait all the way at the end. with bated breath. Or I was going to say wait with bated breath or skip to the end and then come back, whichever you choose. That's true. You could do that. But, um, yeah. But anyway, so why don't you start with your first couple? We'll go right in because the announcement's probably going to take a little while at the end. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Girl, you're so right. Um, so my first cu- my first killer couple... Killer couple. Is, killer couple is the Lonely Hearts Killers. Ooh, I love um, I love a good team with a name. And I, I went with that theme specifically. I was like, all right, we're going to... What are some names that we can come up with? So our first one that I'm doing is the Lonely Hearts Killers. Perfect. And so we'll start off with the one half the the first half arguably okay. of this duo um what's the opposite of like a dynamic duo like a demonic duo <laughs> yeah i like that <laughs> all right so, the first half of this demonic duo and um that would be raymond martinez fernandez who was born on december 17th 1914 in hawaii mm. to spanish parents okay and shortly after he was born his family moved to connecticut and then as an adult, he moved to Spain, married, and had four children, all of whom he abandoned. Oh, what a nice guy. Wah, wah. So then after that, he served in Spain's Merchant Marine, and that's kind of like their regular Marines, and then in the British intelligence during World War II, and afterwards he decided he was going to go to the United States, go home, and try to find some work. Mm-hmm. So he boarded a ship to the U.S., and a steel hatch fell on him and fractured his skull and huh. injuring his frontal lobe. So Ooh, what's nothing. that, kids? That's a head injury. That's a that's a head injury one. for anybody for anybody playing true crime bingo. We have a head injury. Yep. Um. So then, upon his release from the hospital, he stole some clothing and was subsequently imprisoned for a year for charges of petty theft. Ooh. And which I feel like, I mean, I'm not all for let's steal, let's steal, but I feel like a year for clothes, that's a bit much. Yeah, when my sister went away to college, I kind of stole everything in her closet. So I should be in prison. (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't sure where you were going with that. And I'm I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, please don't air your sister's dirty laundry. Please don't air your sister's (laughs) dirty laundry. Dirty laundry because I stole her clothes. Clever. But um. No, I meant you were going to be like, my sister went to college, and then she stole things. No. That's it. Although she, yeah, did no. go, she did go to a weird school where weird shit happened, but I think I've mentioned I it mean, before, some of the weird shit that's gone on. Anyway. Haven't we all? But yes, so, year for petty theft, and while he was in prison, his cellmate taught him about voodoo and the occult. Perfect. And upon his release, I know, like a match made in heaven, a head injury <laughs> and a voodoo r- roommate or whatever you want to call it. Perfect. Um, so upon his release, Fernandez believed that he could use voodoo to gain power over a woman. Of course he could. Yes. That he had this like sorcery, like mastery, like type of thing. Like he was like, he was like fucking, what's his name? Uh, Gary Oldman in Dracula. Okay. Um, so then... He decided that he was going to begin to write letters to all kinds of want ads and personal ads posted by lonely single women. Ooh. And he would write to these women, woo them, and I I just had to keep that in my notes that it was woo. 
because woo. I was like, haha, he wooed them. Woo. Um, love me a good woo and gained their trust. And then he robbed them and would disappear. That kind of happened to uh, one of my uncles. That, what? Like, he, yeah, he was like in this relationship with this woman. And then like he came back to his apartment one day and like all of his shit was gone. Like she had stolen all Jesus. of his shit. Jesus. Right? Isn't that crazy? So That's... this does happen. Like this isn't like a a weird thing. Like people do this and they're garbage. Well, was her name Martha by any chance? I don't even remember. Probably not. Because our boy Fernandez kept this little charade up until one victim, Martha Beck, showed up on his front doorstep with her two kids. Oh. And was like, honey, I'm here. (laughs) So then Martha, who was born Martha Jewel Seabrook on May 6th, 1920 in Milton, Florida, is the other half of our demonic duo. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was overweight due to a glandular problem, although other things suggest that that was just what they called fat people back then. Mm -hmm. Um, That everybody had a glandular problem because they did not like to deal with the fact that people were overweight for any other reason. All right. Um, But she also underwent puberty prematurely. That sucks. And so, yeah. So those two things working in, what's the word? Like working together. Yeah, in tandem did not did not work out in her favor and Mm -hmm. uh just she kind of had a reputation for being unattractive oh yeah um so and uh, furthermore like on so on top of like poor self-esteem and all of that other stuff um at there when they went on trial for their crimes she also claimed to have been raped by her brother as a young girl And that when she had told her mother what happened, her mother had beaten her and claimed that Martha was responsible. Jesus. Yes. So, not shockingly, Martha Beck ran away from home as a teen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And actually, in 1978, writer Truman Capote, who, for those who don't know him, if you've ever seen or heard of Breakfast at Tiffany's, he was the original writer of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Or Um, people in this group, In Cold Blood... Oh, that's true, too. I just go immediately. I just immediately go to Audrey Hepburn because I love her. But yes. Oh, no. He also did in Cold Blood. Yeah, that's probably one of the most famous things he's known for. (laughs) I don't know. Breakfast Activities is pretty famous, too. But no. Yeah, that was a that was a uh, Caitlin made a funny. Um, But so, yes. So in 1978, he said that he had also joined her for a short time when he was 10 years old while she was being a little runaway. Oh, yeah. all right then. Um, but he was an eccentric fellow, so who knows yeah. whether or not that was true, but that's what Capote says. And um, so after Martha finished school, she studied nursing, but had trouble finding a job due to her weight, which I tried to look into that, and I couldn't really find a reason why a nurse wouldn't be able to do her job if she was overweight. But well, I, I don't know, because... Um I know at least for like a flight attendant and stuff back then you had to be like a very specific height, a very specific weight. Yeah. Like you had to be like a specific build and everything. Yeah. And I and wondered if it was something like that too, like almost like a nurse joy type thing where they're all like cookie cutter. Yeah. Or maybe no one wanted to have a nurse that they thought was unhealthy. It's like having a, yeah. a dentist that has fake teeth or something like that. I don't know. Right. I don't, I don't know, know, man. Shit was weird back know, then. Shit was weird back then, and it's about to get weirder, because Martha eventually found a job as an undertaker's assistant and would prepare female bodies for burial. I'm sorry, then, I hear your cats again. <laughs> yeah, and for those <laughs> who were being wondering... really loud. No one could hear no, it last time, because uh, Elliot, ha- when he uh, does the he audio... He out. Uh, well, he, he has to get out, like just random background noises and that happened to be within the background noise uh, that was edited out but you could hear it on the raw recording it's hilarious yeah yeah they do that and they also run their paws underneath the door <laughs> trying to get it open that's my and favorite Fel- that's and my felix favorite has thing. figured out how to open doorknobs specifically because the other night i was taking a shower and michael i from inside the bathroom could see the knob wiggling and Michael from the other side of the door could see Felix with his paws on either side of the knob trying to turn it. I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, yeah. undertaker's cats assistant. Yeah, so cats are dumb. And she actually then quit that job 
and moved out to California, where she worked as an in an army hospital as a nurse. Okay. Um, she started becoming sexually active, as a woman does, and mm-hmm. eventually became pregnant. And she tried to convince the father of her baby to marry her, but he refused. So, oh, single and pregnant, trash. she returned... Oh, wait, no, no, mm, no, no sympathy yet. Okay. Um, Single and pregnant, she returned to her home of Florida and told people that the father of her child had been tragically killed. Oh. Yes. Like, laid it on thick. The town had, like, a memorial service for him. Like... Damn. Yeah, like, laid it on. Um, So then shortly after her daughter was born, she became pregnant again by a Pensacola bus driver named Alfred Beck. She Uh did convince him to marry her. Okay. And six months after they got married, they divorced. And then later on, she gave birth to their son. Okay. So as a lonely, unemployed single mom, Beck found refuge in romance novels and romantic movies. Mm-hmm. And in 1947, began taking out personal ads, one of which, for, um, for Na- yes, Fernandez answered. And uh-huh. I, start- I started to... <laughs> I started to call him Fern Raymond, and I <laughs> got very because his name is Raymond. Yes, um, it's been it's been a long day. Um, so yeah, so one of which Fernandez answered, and that prompted her to uproot her and her children's lives and move to be with him. Wow, um, as one does. So Fernandez, she shows up. She's like, "Honey, I'm home," and he. Normally, people would like say, "Hey." please go away. Uh-huh. Like, especially like she's, she's brought her entire yeah, family. Two children. So no. So Fernandez liked how she catered to his every whim. So he ultimately agreed to let Beck stay. If she got rid of the kids. Oh, who were promptly abandoned outside a Salvation Army. I've heard actually more recent stories of people doing this, which is people will do hor- this horrifying. Like, and people will drop off a baby at a hospital and at a, like, at a fire station or wherever. There are places where, like, you can give up your child with no consequences. Yeah. However, these children were, like, maybe a year old, two years old. Like, they weren't, like, infants. Yeah. She had had them, and she was solely giving them up for a man. Yeah. But regardless, she did it. The kids ended up being better off anyway, so whatever. Good. But, um, or at least probably, I don't, they, there's no record on what happened to the kids. Okay. But, um, so the couple continued to scam women and, um, Beck would pose as Fernandez's sister, mm-hmm. which would then make him have like this air of respectability and trustworthiness because women would be like, oh, well, like his sister's here. So everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was actually, unsurprisingly, super jealous and unstable. So <laughs> no. the victims, yeah, so the victims would be like feeling okay that there was this woman in a house and would be like, okay, well, I'll stay in the house with you guys then, which is what Fernandez wanted. Mm-hmm. But then um, Fernandez would want to consummate the relationship and Gross. Beck would get super jealous and go to any lengths to make sure that Fernandez and whatever woman it was at the time never got to do that. Um, she would also sometimes convince the victims that she lived alone and that her brother was only a guest and be like, not in my house. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then the few times that Fernandez didn't get cock blocked by his sister wife, um, she subjected both the victim and Fernandez to her violent temper. Um, and so then in 1949, the pair committed the three murders for which they would later be convicted. Uh, the first being Janet Fay, who was 66 and she became, she became engaged to Fernandez and went to stay at his apartment in Long Island. And when Beck caught her in bed with Fernandez, she smashed Faye's head with a hammer Ooh. and Fernandez then strangled Faye. Uh, okay. Uh, so... Faye's family then understandably became suspicious when she disappeared. (laughs) And they were like, hmm, where could she be? Well, last we've checked, she was with this dude and his sister. So then Fernandez and Beck fled to Grand Rapids, Michigan, 
where they met and stayed with Delphine Downing, who was a young widow with a two-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. So then on February 28th, 1949, Fernandez gave sleeping pills to calm Downing after she became upset over something we don't really know what. Okay. And her daughter witnessed Downing's resulting stupor and began to cry, which enraged Beck and caused her to choke the child, <gasps> but she didn't kill her. Okay. Um, so Fernandez then thought that Downing would become suspicious if she saw that her two-year-old daughter had these bruises around her neck. Mm-hmm. And he decided to shoot the woman. You gotta, at that point. That's the easiest way to cover this up, yep. obviously. So the couple then stayed for several days in the Downing's house. Gross. Um, yep. And then, again in, uh, again enraged by the daughter's crying, Beck drowned her in a basin of water. Jesus. Yes. So, I, like I said, her kids are better off. Yeah. Um, they also then buried the bodies in the basement of the house. Um, continued to stay there, but then the neighbors got suspicious and reported the Downing's disappearances, which led the police to arrive at their door on March 1st, 1949, and mm-hmm. arrest Beck and Fernandez. Good. Yes, as they should be. Um, so then when they were arrested, they signed a 73-page confession. Whoa, they have a lot to say for themselves. Yeah, they had plenty. Well, because in it, they bragged about killing at least 17 women Mm. after luring them by responding to these personal ads, which caused the couple to be dubbed the Lonely Hearts Killers by the press. Perfect. And Fernandez and Beck were executed via the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison on March 8th, 1951. And they are believed to have murdered as many as 20 people from 1947 to 1949. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, And their story has found its way into pop culture with a number of movies on the subject, including a 2006 film called Lonely Hearts, which starred... This had, like, a huge, like, all-star cast, especially, like, in terms of crime. Especially in terms of crime. We've got John Travolta. Whoa. Selma Hayek. Whoa. James Gandolfini from The Sopranos, and Jared Leto, who we know from our Mark David Chapman episode, was in Chapter 27. That's true. Yes. Um, And the case was also featured on an episode of Cold Case, Mm -hmm. and a modernized version of the story is being made as a series for Showtime as of of 2015. Oh, cool. Yep. And so that is... The Lonely Hearts Killers. Well Happy done. B-Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't it great to be in love? I mean, I'm so not, just murder. Not, for, not for Martha Beck. I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is not how she imagined her romance novels to pan out. Well, you win some, you lose some. And my first couple, Yeah. My first couple is Ray and Faye Copeland. Ooh, Ryan Fay. Ryan Fay. Uh, Ryan Fay. Ray Copeland was born in Oklahoma in 1914, and when he was growing up, his family moved around, struggling to survive during the Great Depression. And as a young man, he began a life of petty crime, stealing livestock and forging checks until he was caught and served a year in jail. Uh, Good. Yeah. After he was released in 1940, he met Fay Wilson, and they were married soon after. They quickly had several children. And thanks to Ray's criminal reputation, they had to keep moving their family around when money was tight. During this time, Ray served several jail sentences, and he finally came up with a plan to improve his illegal money-making methods to be undetected. Since Ray was well-known as a fraud, he could not buy and sell cattle on his own, so to get around this problem, he picked up drifters and hobos and employed them as farmhands on his property in Mooresville, Missouri. And, yeah, you could see where this is going. He yeah. would take these employees to the market where they would use his bad checks to buy the cattle for him. After the transactions, Ray would sell the cattle quickly and the farmhands would disappear without a trace. For a while, the scam worked, but the police caught up with Ray and he was once again sent to jail. And upon his release, he resumed his criminal activities. But this time he made sure that his farmhands were not connected to him before. He went on... Okay. Uh, until a previous employee, Jack McCormick, called the Crime Stoppers hotline in August of 1989 to tell them about the Copelands. 
and McCormick claimed that he had seen human bones on the farm while he was employed there, and he also claimed that Ray had tried to kill him. So, yeah, that's a reason to call the cops. Yikes! Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a big yikes. Yeah. Uh, the police were initially skeptical of the claims, but after checking Ray's criminal record, they decided to investigate further, and in October 1989, they visited the Copeland farm, armed with a search warrant, dozens of officers, and a team of bloodhounds. And initially, they didn't find any incriminating evidence, but after further searching, the bodies of three young men were discovered in a nearby barn. And yeah, as they continued to search, more bodies were found, all killed with the same weapon, a 22 caliber Marlin rifle that was later found in the Copeland home. So it became clear that Ray had been killing his employees in the pursuit of money, but Faye's actions were initially questioned. And when she went to trial in November of 1990, her defense mounted on a picture of her being a dutiful wife and mother who had endured beatings and general ill treatment from her husband. However, the jury uh, convicted her of four counts of murder and one count of manslaughter, and she was given four death sentences for the murders and life without parole for the manslaughter. That's yeah, a lot. That is That's a lot. lot of things. Uh, in March 1991, Ray went on trial, and he was convicted of five counts of murder and sentenced to death. Ray, age 76, and Faye, age 69, are the oldest couple sentenced to death in the United States. And uh, upon hearing that Faye had been sentenced to death by lethal injection as well, um, Ray showed no emotion and he replied quote well those things happen sometime you know end quote yeah yeah but also no it's all your fault yeah (laughs) (laughs) um however neither of them would be executed ray died of natural causes on october 19th 1993 at the age of 79 and his body was cremated Faye's attorney appealed her conviction and contended that the jury had not been allowed to hear the evidence that Ray had abused her for years. And on August 6, 1999, Judge Ortiz Smith overturned the death sentence, but let the conviction stand and uh, commuted her sentence of uh, five terms of life without parole. On August 10, 2002, Faye suffered a stroke, which left her partially paralyzed and unable to speak. And weeks later, in September 2002, Governor Bob Holden authorized a medical parole for Faye, fulfilling her one wish that she not die in prison. And she was paroled to a nursing home in her hometown of Chillicothe, it looks like. Missouri. Yeah, Chillicothe. Yeah. Yay. Uh, she died of natural causes at the age of 82 and left behind Yay five children. For knowing names. <laughs> She left behind five children and 17 grandchildren. Yikes. Yeah. That's um, a lot. Yeah, it's hard to tell um, whether she really had any hand in what was going on, or maybe she knew about it and just, like, like turned a blind eye to it. Yeah. But... Yeah, so that was her sentence. Um, The Copeland story has been fictionalized in a comic book called The Family Bones, written by Faye's nephew, Sean Granger. And you can purchase issues of it on Amazon. And the description says, quote, Family Bones is based on the true story of the oldest married couple in Missouri's death row, as experienced one summer by their unwitting nephew. The writer, Sean Granger, is the actual great-nephew of Faye and Ray Copeland, Broken Frontier says, uh, Family Bones is an intriguing project. From the offset of the story, it seems to be a unique one, not just another sketchy profile of an obsessed, introverted psychopath a la Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, nor is it an overly cheeky attempt to glorify the reclusive intellect of fictional masterminds like Hannibal Lecter. The tale is instead evocative of a very quiet, very subdued checks texas chainsaw massacre with the gritty realism of the first movie edged with faint touches of the zaniness found in the sequels end quote i looked it up if you can see like in the um when you go on amazon you look up like the issues of it you can like see like the first couple pages of it and it looks really good so you should check it out Okay. And another thing based on this first. story, <laughs> yes, okay. uh, the play Temporary Help by David Wiltz uh, appeared on Off-Broadway okay. in 2004, and it was also based on this story. Oh. 
Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. It, I read some reviews of it. Uh, I think it, weirdly, I think it went to a, um, a production in Connecticut before it opened on Broadway, because it said something oh. about being in New Haven or something. Oh, the Yale Rep is in New Haven? The Schubert is in New Haven? I don't remember what um, it was, but it didn't seem to get, like, great reviews. Oh, well. <laughs> but the description of the play... Never mind, then. The description of the play, which I found on, like, the book of the play, says, In this suspenseful and surprisingly funny play noir, a Nebraska fam- farm couple are entwined in a chilling dance of desire, psychological dominance, and the interdependence that culminates in killing temporary farm workers for profit the wife is struggling to get away from her murderous relationship the sheriff a former boyfriend and the new temporary worker a sympathetic possibly homicidal young lover who will be the next victim are possible allies oh yeah sounds interesting it sounds yeah it sounds like something i'd enjoy i wonder what went wrong i don't know maybe it's because it's stuff that we'd enjoy and not like the general public uh i think (laughs) it was a I saw a review on, I think it was Variety that did a review mm-hmm. on it. And they said, like, at one point, like, I guess it was whatever stage it was being showed at. But right. at one point, you can see, like, the actress off stage talking to a stagehand, like, through a window in the set. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> no, but that's that was not fair. That was just one thing that they talked about at the end. And I think that's really funny because, like, being in theater in high school, yes. like, shit like that would happen. And it was so Oh, yes, funny. it would. <laughs> or you'd oh leave somebody's God. mic on when they went to the bathroom. So funny. Um, or apparently for Rent Live, somebody was saying that um, because, so for those who don't know, they, Fox aired Rent Live, but they aired the dress rehearsal. Yeah, that because they the shot one guy broke his foot or something. Because the guy that played Roger broke his foot yeah. the night before, during the dress rehearsal, right before the final act, uh, the final number. Yeah. So they shared the footage of that and then the final number was performed with live. him in a wheelchair live yes um apparently at one point people i think it was dur- after la vie bohème so like right at the end of the first act people mm-hmm. were leaving getting off stage and somebody's mic was still on and apparently <gasps> they could be heard saying so sweaty so sweaty oh my god <laughs> and i fucking died because i was like that would be it for me i'd like Whoever said that knows who they are, and they would just, I would, I would die. I would actually die. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, would you die? I would die. Oh, my God. Those moments Like, on national television, and if that dude didn't break his foot, Brandon Dixon, I believe his name is, if he didn't break his foot, nobody would have known that person was so sweaty. Nope. It all could have been avoided. Thank God we know. Can you hear the cats? Because I can hear the cats. I can't hear them right now. They stopped. They were singing the song of their people. Oh, Okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, the last little bit of pop culture in this case is um, that it was documented in multiple television series such as Forensic Files, Wicked Attraction, and The New Detectives. So that mm-hmm. is Ray and Faye Copeland. Ray and Faye. Ray and Faye. <laughs> Go ahead with your next one. All right. Well, after Ray and Faye, we have the San Francisco Witch Killers. I'm telling you, I love a nickname. I know. I it's it's just, you know, like it's it's so easy to come up with them nowadays too. I feel like any prolific criminal, like not even limited to like violent ones, just any criminal should get like a good nickname. Yep. Just, I mean, everybody deserves a good nickname. That's probably why a lot of these people are doing what they're doing is because they just want want the name. They want a nickname. Golden Joe and the Suggins gang, (laughs) the Wet Bandits, just everybody. Everybody loves a good nickname. But um, so rather than get into the whole like personal history, we're gonna fast forward a bit or rewind technically, but you know what I mean. To 1977, Mm -hmm. um, where James Carson was living as a family man in Phoenix, Arizona, when his wife noticed a bunch of sudden, severe behavioral changes that threatened the safety of herself and their daughter never five-year-old, good. five-year-old daughter named jennifer Ooh. never good um so she left she 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 grabbed jennifer and she hiked it out of there as she should have um good. and the two eventually started 
moving every six months and cut off ties with mutual acquaintances to avoid being tracked down by James. Because while Carson never tried to find his family, he met and married Susan Barnes, a recently divorced woman with woman, not women. She's only one um, (laughs) with two teenage sons. And the two traveled through Europe for a year or two after they got married. And when they returned to the United States, they took up residence in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. And that was the birthplace of hippie culture. Yeah. Drugs, art, mysticism, all kinds of counterculture activities. And the Carsons were quite involved in all of that. And it's around this time that... James Carson's wife and her daughter Jennifer, their daughter Jennifer, decided to make themselves scarce. Yeah. Um, because James told his daughter that God had revealed to him that he needed to change his name. Uh, so he changed his name from James to Michael. And okay, <laughs> just another like generic uh, white guy name. Oh no, but it gets better because then <laughs> he and Susan adopted the surname of Bear. So we now have instead of Michael and Susan or James and Susan Carson, we now have Michael and Susan Bear. Okay. <laughs> um so uh and Susan believed herself to be a quote yogi and a mystic with knowledge of past, present and future events. I bet she was. And I bet she was. They also claimed to be vegetarian Muslim warriors who believed that witchcraft, homosexuality, and abortion were reasons enough to kill people. Wow. What a belief system. Yeah, you know, like, that's that's one way to... You're going to murder people, but you're still going to be veg. I mean, Haley, meat is murder. It is. It really is. <laughs> okay um but anyway so they believed their quote higher power called on them to kill these enemies the same higher power that told them to change their names Good. um to kill these enemies for their own protection and for the sake of the country's future dun 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 it sounds a little heaven's gate-ish it's it is a little heaven's gate-ish because uh, it gets it gets a little more heaven's gate-ish um, their first confirmed murder was in March 1981, and it was their Su- their roommate, Karen Barnes, who is not related to Susan Barnes. Weird. Um, now, now Susan Bear. Uh, oh, it gets, it gets weirder. There's a couple of no relations in this story. Um, and Karen was an aspiring actress from Georgia, and while on a hitchhiking trip during a rainstorm, Susan believed she got orders to kill Barnes, and every time she said it, thunder would clap because that's believable and the couple killed barnes upon their return home by stabbing her 13 times and crushing her skull with what the couple later admitted was a frying pan oh yeah not quite the use i would think of for a frying pan but that's fine you do you um and then they wrapped barnes up in a blanket and hid her in the basement Mm-hmm. And Susan believed Barnes, having faked a conversation to their brand of Muslimism, was actually a witch and was stealing her, quote, yogic powers. Okay. So, um, but before the body was found, Susan and Michael fled and they hid in the mountains for a little bit. And then they showed up at a Northern California marijuana farm where they worked Good. as farmhands and guards. Okay. Um, again, very 1970s, very hippie. Um, or 1980s at this point, I guess. But, you know, like, some people just can't let go of certain decades. Like, we can't let go of the 90s. These people can't let go of the 70s. It's all fine. No, I, I believe I've said it before. The 90s ended in 2004. No, 90s still haven't ended. I have a scrunchie right here. Like, I mean, I always wear scrunchies. Love me some scrunchies. But, um, so they showed up at this farm and co-workers at the farm described the bears as anarchists. <laughs> bears. Duh bears. <laughs> Duh bears. Duh bears. Um, Duh bears. Duh anarchists. Um, <laughs> and they advocated a revolution and believed that a nuclear apocalypse was imminent. You know, all the tenets of Islam. It's happening. And Yeah. And there was an ongoing fight that they had with fellow farmhand Clark Stevens, 
uh, which led to Michael shooting him twice in the head in May 1982. Oh. Um, Michael would later say that Stevens was a demon who had sexually abused his wife. Oh. Um, Dub Ayers <laughs> attempted to burn the body under chicken fertilizer in the woods before fleeing. Gross. And two weeks later, Stevens was reported missing. Don't know why it took them two weeks. Well, no, here's the thing. So I was like, I don't know why it took them two weeks. Then I remembered they were on a marijuana farm. Yeah. And I was like, that's why it took them two weeks. Yep. So two weeks later, Stevens was reported missing and investigators found his partially burned remains in the woods. Um, at this point, Dabers were prime suspects of this murder and of Karen's murder because they were the only ones that were really around her. Yeah. And, and they were her um, roommates and then they just disappeared. Yeah. And then Stevens disappears and the same people who were there when Karen was murdered is now they were there when Stevens was murdered. It's like, it's kind of obvious. They're not doing a good job of like hiding here yeah. or they're doing a good job of hiding. They're not doing a good job of like looking innocent. Um, yeah. So then among the belongings that they left behind was an anti-government manifesto written by the bears. And that included a list of celebrities and politicians that they wanted to assassinate, including, Ooh, do you have some of the list? I do. <gasps> yes. Tell me who they were going to murder. Then President Ronald Reagan. Of course, it's always the president. Gotta kill Always him. the president. But then also Johnny Carson. Oh. And there is no relation to Johnny Carson and James Carson oh. slash Michael Bear. But I just like, was I'm like, the only one allowed to be named yeah, Carson. I, that's what I was thinking. It was like, Death he was like, there you. can only be one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so then after Stevens's body was found, a manhunt was officially launched to find the bears. Mm -hmm. And somebody eventually saw Michael hitchhiking in November 1982, and he was arrested, but due to a police error, he was freed before anybody had the chance to question him. Mm. Love that. Love mm -hmm. the... I, I, I just... The competence is mind-boggling. Yep. But, um... And he even, like, left behind a gun of his and all kinds of stuff. Like, they just... Ugh. So the ball gets dropped <laughs> once... And then in March 1983, 30-year-old John Charles um, Hellyer, Hel Hellyer? Um, sure. I think it's Hellyer, um, picked up the hitchhiking couple on his way to Santa Rosa, California. And at some point during their ride north, Susan decided that he was a witch and needed to tie. Good. Um, so, He's yeah, doing so you after, a favor, bitch. Yeah. So... No, he decided, he, he did not decide. Susan decided that John Hellier is the witch. Yeah, she's, he's doing her a favor. He's oh, driving the right? I thought you were saying that she's doing him a favor by killing no. him for being a witch. And I was like, um, no, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, let's hit pause. I'm just psycho-blaming. Um, yes. So, um, after over 300 miles together... Uh, an argument and physical altercation broke out amongst Tellier and the Bears, which caused Tellier to stop the car and pull it's over. It's a great band name. Tellier and, and the, the Bears. Bears. <laughs> New band name. <laughs> um, so now I want you to keep in mind, all of this happened on the side of the 101 freeway. For those who don't know, the 101 freeway... Like, pretty much most... Ca like, California... Yeah, like, most California freeways, it is large. Yeah. And it is heavily traveled. So he pulls over. The three get out of the car where the altercation continues. And Susan started stabbing Hellier until <sighs> Michael got control of his gun and shot him. God. But again, this all happened on the side of the 101. So tons of people saw it. And not surprisingly, a passing driver called the police. Yeah. So the cops showed up and there was a you brief high speed say chase. Something. Exactly. If you see something, guys, say something. If you see somebody stabbing and shooting someone on the side of the 101, please say something. Yeah. Um, so there was a brief high-speed chase, uh, as you do, and Michael and Susan Bear slash Carson were caught and arrested. And initially, the Bear Carsons agreed to plead guilty to the three murders in exchange for a televised press conference. Mm -hmm. But at the press conference, they admitted to their murders, described their victims as witches who needed to die. 
Um, they talked about their weird combination of hippie spirituality and Muslim beliefs and said that the murders were done according to the teachings of the Quran, which, no. no. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you read it? Like, have you, though? Um, and just before the trial, the couple recanted everything and no. entered a plea of not guilty. Nope. Yep. I so bet they're eventually, innocent. Yeah, I I don't think they did it. I don't care what those witnesses say. Um, yeah. I, don't I don't care, care what, what they, the DNA says. Yeah, and what they already confessed to. Yeah. Um. So eventually, Michael and Susan were convicted on all three murder charges, despite having not done it. And each of them received sentences that totaled 75 years to life in prison. Oh. Yes. So the press dubbed them the San Francisco Witch Killers after their conference. And they were suspects in at least a dozen other murders in the United States, as well as in Europe. Oh. But there was never enough evidence to bring them to trial for those. So they were only gotten on those three murders. Okay. Um, but they were up for parole as recently as 2015. Damn. Yep. And Michael slash John canceled his hearing. And Susan was denied parole, but will be eligible again in 2030. Hmm. So we're still not safe. Yeah. Um, and they have actually been featured on lots of docuseries, including This Is Life with Lisa Ling. Um, mm -hmm. And on that one specifically, Ling actually interviews Jennifer Carson, the five-year-old daughter that James slash Michael slash Bear slash Carson um, mm -hmm. had with his wife, his ex-wife. Um, and she talked about like her childhood and her experiences with Michael and everything like that in her interview and then netflix has a series called murder mountain and they yeah. talked about uh, yep and they talked about the bears slash carsons and all of their their witchy killings Ooh, interesting yes i like that me too i mean i don't like the murders but i no. like the i like the coverage i like learning i'm a yes i'm, I'm a fan of learning well, my next one is very exciting. I told my sister we were doing this one, and she seemed very excited. It's, oh, I love this. If it's good it's, for Jean, it's good for me. It's two ladies. Oh, uh, you did tell me this one. You did tell yes, me this one. Lesbian killers. Love uh, it. We have Gwendolyn Graham and Kathy Wood. Amazing. And they met at the Alpine Manor Nursing Home shortly after Graham had moved to Michigan from Texas. They okay. quickly became friends and then lovers in uh, 1986. And two years later, they were both facing murder charges for allegedly smothering five elderly patients as part of their quote-unquote love bond. Isn't it romantic? So things escalate quickly. Uh, the details, they move fast. <laughs> oh, they do. The details <laughs> of the murders came almost entirely from accounts uh, to criminal justice authorities by Wood, um, whose murder charges were reduced by a plea agreement so that she could testify against Graham in Graham's trial for first-degree murder. However, Wood's accounts and her self-betrayal as Graham's pawn were later brought into serious question by award-winning journalist Lowell Caulfield. C Caulfield? There's no D. Low Lowell Caulfield in his 1992 true crime book Forever in Five Days. So, according to Wood's account, in January 1987, Graham entered the room of a woman who had Alzheimer's disease and smothered her with a washcloth as Wood acted as a lookout. The woman was too incapacitated to fight back and thus became the pair's first victim. The woman's death appeared to be natural, so an autopsy was not performed. Oh, and, man. They, I yeah. hate when this happens. Yeah. Always perform an autopsy. Like, when are we going to make it so that everybody gets an autopsy, whether they like... Yeah, but, like, I mean... You're at a nursing home, so I know, it's not I completely know. out of the realm of possibility that this is going to happen many times. Yes, but at the same time, it's happened enough times that I feel like, like, I mean, like the candy thing with Halloween, for example, like that never happened and we're still yeah. like having people check candy. Like, I think we can check and make sure that grandma died of natural causes. I guess. That's just um, my take. That's my hot take. Uh, Wood claimed Graham murdered the patient to, quote, relieve her tension, and each felt that the secret for the murder would prevent the other partner from leaving, thus cementing their bond. 
which is wow. <laughs> that's a that's, lot. Yeah, um, that's something. Uh, over the next few months, Graham murdered four more Alpine Manor patients, uh, Wood had alleged. Many of the victims whose ages ranged from 65 to 97 were incapacitated Yikes. and yeah they suffered from alzheimer's disease would testify uh. that the couple turned the selection of victims into a game first trying to choose the victims by their initials to spell out the word murder what which the wow fuck? yeah and uh then they said it became too difficult and they began counting each murder as a day as in the phrase i will love you forever in a day um, a poem by um, Wood to Graham, yeah, and introduced at the trial, concluded, "You'll be mine forever in five days." Wood also testified that Graham took souvenirs from the victims, keeping them to relive the deaths. However, no such souvenirs were discovered by the police. Wood also portrayed Graham as being sexually, physically, and emotionally dominant in their relationship. And the couple eventually broke up when Graham began dating another female nursing aide who also worked at Alpine Manor. Graham then moved back to Texas with the woman and began work in a hospital taking care of infants. The murder investigation that began... seems like a bad idea. Yeah. yeah it doesn't seem good. No. The murder, the murder investigation began in 1988 after Wood's ex-husband, whom she had told about the murders, went to the police. Detectives for the Walker Police Department extensively questioned Kathy Wood in a series of interviews and she incrementally leaked out uh, her version of the homicides, portraying Graham as the mastermind and the hands-on killer. The investigation led to the exhumation of two nursing home victims who had not been cremated, and while the medical examination failed to reveal physical evidence of a homicide, um, not entirely unusual with smothering cases, the county medical examiner n nevertheless ruled the death's homicides, basing it on the interviews that Wood had given to the police. Warrants were issued for the arrest of Wood and Graham, and on December 4th and 5th, 1988, Graham and Wood were arrested and charged with two murders. Wood was apprehended in Walker, uh, Missouri, I think it was. And, Missouri? uh, and Graham was apprehended in Tyler, Texas. Michigan, sorry. Walker, uh, Michigan. Yeah, that, okay. <clears throat> that would make more sense. Uh, during the trial, Wood pleaded, uh, would enter a plea bargain uh, to reduce her sentence, claiming that she was uh, that it was Graham who had planned and carried out all the killings, and that she served as a lookout or distracted supervisors during everything. And Graham maintained her innocence, testifying that the alleged murders were part of an elaborate mind game by Wood. Despite the lack of physical evidence, the jury ultimately was swayed by the testimony of Graham's new girlfriend, who revealed that Graham had confessed to five killings. On November 3rd, 1989, Graham was found guilty on five counts of murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder, and the court gave her five life sentences. Graham is housed in the Woman's Huron Valley Correctional Facility in Pittsfield Charter Township, Michigan, and Wood okay. was charged with one count of second-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 20 years on each count and has been eligible for parole since March 2nd, 2005. And Wood is currently Yikes. incarcerated. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. Wood is currently incarcerated in the Minimum Security Federal Correctional Institute in Tallahassee, Florida, and she is expected to be released on June 6th, 2021. Uh, big yikes. Yeah, especially after... Um, the book that came out. So Lowell Caulfield uh, documents in his nonfiction book, uh, friends, coworkers, family members, and others who knew Graham and Wood, they told an entirely different story than the one that Wood had spun as um, the key witness in Graham's trial. They described Wood as both a coercive and seductive pathological liar who delighted in wreaking havoc in the lives of others. Forever in Five Days presents evidence that Wood planned the first murder after she found Graham with another woman. She involved Graham as an insurance policy to keep her from leaving her. When That's Graham, healthy. Yeah. When Graham left her anyway after the series of alleged killings, Wood was willing to put herself in legal jeopardy by disclosing the, to the police the, um, the details of the case to exact her revenge. 
The book portrays Wood as a psychotic criminal mastermind who manipulated the prosecutor and the jury to punish Graham. Psychological testing also revealed that Graham could be easily manipulated and suffered from borderline personality disorder and lacked the sophistication to plan the series of killings, let alone adequately defend herself in trial. Wood, uh, the book also reveals, later told inmates two versions of the events. The first, that she had made the entire story up to put Graham away for life for leaving her for another woman. The second was that she had done all the killing herself, but framed Graham also for revenge. Several Yikes. of the families sued the owners of the Alpine Manor for hiring, quote, dangerous and unbalanced employees. Alpine Manor has since gone out of business. No shit. Yeah. Uh, they have since gone out of business, but the building now houses a nursing home called Sanctuary at St. Mary's. Yikes. Yeah, the story's a fucking whirlwind. This but, is so, for those wondering where to put mom, dad, and grandma, maybe um, not there. Yeah, but the, the I really want to read this book because it sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, like I had said before, the basis um, for the 1992 true crime novel Forever in Five Days by Lowell Caulfield, and it has a 3.7 out of 5 on Goodreads right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good, yeah, that's a good score. Uh, Graham and Wood were featured on two episodes of the TV series, The Serial Killers, in which they were interviewed about their relationship and their crimes. And they were also featured on an episode of Snapped Killer Couples, which if you like this episode, you should just watch Snapped because they talk about a lot of it. And um, the television series American Horror Story tells a highly fictionalized version of their story in the sixth season Roanoke. And they are depicted as sisters Miranda and Bridget Jane. Right. Okay. Yeah. Damn, son. Pretty crazy. Yeah, no, that's nuts. That's like, whew. Yeah. That's, I don't know. That story was like. There are certain ways to show your love. That's not one of them. Yeah, that story is nuts. The minute I got to the the detail of like they wanted to spell out the word murder with yeah. the initials of their victims i was like holy shit that's a whole new level of like, that was like, like do something else with your creativity what was that like the um fuck what's it like the chessboard killer he wanted to kill a person for each piece on the chessboard i think that yeah was, yeah i yeah. think that was who it was yeah but yeah that's that's fucking nuts that's a little far <laughs> so that's my last one happy valentine's day love each other happy- yeah, happy Valentine's Day. Lots of people have fallen in love and then fallen into crime. Yep. And there whew. was some post on um on Instagram that it was like a guy and a, and a and a woman on the top of this mountain and there was like flower petals in the shape of a heart and like he was proposing at sunset and it was like all like so pretty. And then like the comment under it was like Dudes do all this just to murder her in five years. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. Shit happens. Yeah. That's some fucking or Scott some, Peterson ass bullshit. I was going to say, but sometimes it's not even sometimes it's the wife. Sometimes That's it's true. some of that gone girl bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's that gone girl bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah. That's crazy. But now that we're at the end, do you want to tell everyone what our exciting news is? should we do it together no you do it okay um so it's our 50th episode it is we are deciding to celebrate in style yeah um and so we figured what better way to do that than to ask you for money yay (laughs) yay (laughs) we are starting a patreon we're selling girl scout cookies oh wait (laughs) i wish I wish yeah. I I would quite literally eat the profits. Um mm-hmm. but no, we are starting a Patreon. We are uh, for those who want to donate and we've we'll have the whole list. We're launching it today, Tuesday. Yeah. Um the twelfth, right? Like That's yes, today. today is the twelfth and we like if you go we're gonna link the Patreon everywhere and if you go, if you can donate that's amazing. If you can't donate, that's cool too. Like, feel free to share with your friends, with your families. Yes. Um, just... We have something for every budget. Yes. Um, if you want to donate a dollar, 
um, you will have our undying love and we will also list you as a donor on our social media and website and everywhere online. Yep. Um, there's $5 rewards, $10 rewards. We'll link to the Patreon so you can see it. There's, there's um, so many rewards. Um, some you can get a live chat with us. I was going to say a live chat, early access to episodes by 24 hours. Um, we'll do uh, whatever promo within reason, people. Within reason, we will, yes. <laughs> we will do Adam a promo Eve, for you. We're looking at you. Yes, um, but if you want to do a personal promo, if it's your friend's yeah. birthday, we will shout them out. If uh, Yeah, rather than showing <laughs> your girlfriend or boyfriend that you love them by killing people for every day that you love them, you could, I don't know, maybe contract us to do a promo instead. Oh, what if we issued a proposal? You can take you can take the reins on that one because I'd fuck oh, it up. If someone wants me to I propose to up. someone you love, I will do it. I would fuck it up, but um, Haley can do it and I'll just be other like, shit. I'll clap. What do we have? Oh, uh, we'll send you a postcard. I was going to say, what do you mean, what do we have? We've been planning this for like six months. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to look at the uh, the list. So yeah, we're, we'll send you a postcard at some tier. I forget which one it is. And it's a crime culture postcard. It's not yes. some like With greetings a, from St. Louis or whatever. It's an actual like crime culture postcard. With our artwork on it that was created by me. Yeah, created by our girl Haley. This is and true. Then, our, our artist in residence. Um, a my Patreon favorite only one, poll. Is my favorite, favorite one, one is the okay. uh, the top tier, obviously. Yes. If you want to be super into Our us, lovers. then we're just going to send you cool shit that we like. So yes. we got stickers. We got unreleased episodes. So some stuff will be digital content. Some will be like physical stuff. Like I found these like true crime pins that I'm absolutely dying to send to somebody. Yes. Um, I go to vintage shops all the time. If I find a true crime book I want you to read, I'm going to send it to you. So, yes. um, all this we've stuff, got, artwork, bracelets, magnets. We might be sending. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit of crime we might culture be making merch. merch. Yes. Um, so, now see, my, one of my favorites, though, is we actually we also do a Patreon only poll where you can yeah. vote what you want one of the next episodes to be. Yeah. So we'll say to you, hey, do you want it to be on the San Francisco witch killers or on the murderous lesbians of the nursing homes? And you can vote and you can yeah. say, I want I want to hear about this or I want to hear about that. So yeah. not only do you get to, like, send us your suggestions, which you're already doing already. And we've got so many in the works, but you, you can, can literally force us out. to do the research. <laughs> you can force us to do it like sooner than we probably not that we're not going to do it quickly but you can force us to do it sooner i'm gonna say right now we are listed out like we are booked out for what episodes we're doing until august oh shit till august until august i can't do calendars so uh if you want us to do an episode quicker then you're gonna make us change our whole schedule so Which use that power use that. that power wisely. Yes, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. Um but yeah. So we've got like a lot of we got like a lot of stuff that I think that you guys would like that we think you would like. Yes, I'm very and excited for it. Yeah. And we're very excited for what's coming up, what's coming next, and we hope you are too. And again, if you can donate, awesome. Love you forever. If not, that's fine. If not, we'll just be a share mad. No, it, and I will still um, appreciate you. Yes, if you can share it, even because that takes that takes plenty of effort too. Like to be able to basically say to your friends, "Hey, I can't donate, but if you can." Yep. Um. So yeah, please like feel free. Love you forever. Like you for always. Yeah, we've been working on the Patreon itself for a while but we've also yep. been working on this podcast it'll be for a longer while it'll be like a year in april so it will be a year in april it's a lot of time and a lot of research and a lot of love yep so it's cool like this patreon is kind of getting everyone else involved now yes like giving you it guys get more to into your hands because this is just as much your podcast as it is ours so like you guys get to have more of a say yeah now and we get to hopefully keep it going <laughs> yay yay 
All right. So that was our news. So we're yeah. all done. And yeah. happy Valentine's Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day. We love you very much. Yes, you're all I our Valentine's. I love you, Haley. I love you. <gasps> I love you. My Valentine. Valentine. Nope. No, don't like that. <laughs> don't like that. Nope. Nope. I bet you go to the library, too. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Before we drag on any farther, a goodbye. And we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Donate to the Patreon. Yes, please. Bye. Bye.